intense, thrilling, electrifying sport on the planet. Mixed Martial Arts. You've been looking for the definitive podcast to call your new home to hear everything about it. The search is over. This is the MMA Anomaly Show. No filter. Bringing you the hottest MMA breakdowns straight from the heart of the octagon. This show is all about MMA breakdowns for fans by fans. We're talking UFC, MMA, and the occasional big boxing match. We'll bring our unique take on how these fights are going to play out and who we think are the best bets. Welcome to the MMA Anomaly Show. No filter. And now your hosts, Olin. A.K.A. MMA Anomaly and Emiliano, A.K.A. Jive Turkey Nano. What is up, fight fans? Welcome back to another episode of the MMA Anomaly Show. No filter. As you heard the man say, I'm your host Olin, A.K.A. MMA Anomaly, and with me, as usual, is the co-host with the most, Jive Turkey Nano. How we doing, brother? Oh, and MMA Anomaly. Great to be here. Happy Friday, Junior, like to call it today. Uh, happy to celebrate this UFC Noche. We got the Mexico-themed uh, fight night card, and best believe I'm rocking the colors, baby. Rocking my home, uh, my hometown, my home country. Let's go. Viva Mexico. Sheesh. Let's Arriba. go, baby. You love to hear it. You love to see it. And, uh, man, again, what a, what a weekend. Man. What a weekend. Last weekend, I must say, you know, Australia, Sydney did not disappoint. Some fireworks, some huge shocks. Uh, I mean, I'm still recovering, man. I don't think I fully processed what happened. <laughs> Definitely still recovering on that end myself from UFC 293. Again, as you stated, what a card. My goodness. I feel like I'm sitting so low here. There we go. There we go. Now we're now we're sitting pretty. We're sitting a little bit higher. Um, and, and again, I'm glad I was sitting down during UFC 293. My goodness. Um, so many emotions, so many things to process. And uh, I, I mean, we won't go through the entire card as usual, uh, but we will go through the main the main kind of speaking points here. Going ahead and starting off with the early prelims. Gabriel Miranda came in. I said it. I said coming in with a mustache that nice. You got to be ready to throw down the dice. That man went out there and boy, he made Shen Young look like he threw some snake eyes, if you know what I mean. Um, 59-second submission to get it done. I mean, absolute beast mode. What did you think of that performance from Gabriel Miranda? And um, did you see that coming in, in Shane Young's backyard? I mean, man, I, I think there were some signs. This felt like a trap pick in terms of looking at the favorites and knowing that you know Gabriel Miranda was traveling a far away. But that mustache meant business, man. And and he went in there and did, did clean work with Shane Young. Um, I was surprised of that finish. I was surprised of how quick he got there as well. I mean, just took control of it right away, like you said. Well, all it took was one and um, got the neck and, and took care of business, man. I mean, unfortunate for Shane Young. Uh, but I think also this Gabriel Miranda guy, he made a statement. Yeah, he 100% made a statement. And again, not only did he make a statement, but he made it look pretty damn easy. He got it done via rear naked choke. Good old RNC for the win. 59 seconds in. You love to see it. And what's crazy is that happened in the fight right before it uh, by way of Kevin Jusset getting it done by rear naked choke. His took, uh, you know, about 
four minutes or th- give three minutes and 50 seconds, give or take, uh, longer to do. But, you know, still, rear naked chokes were definitely in fashion. I think there were four of them on the night. Or, sorry, no, three of those and one Ezekiel choke. My apologies. Um, that being said, one hell of a night. Gabriel Miranda made a showing for himself at a 150-pound catch weight. Definitely look forward to seeing what's next for him and what he can do with a full camp. Um, moving into the next fight that we're going to go over here. We can skip around. Like I said, we'll skip a few. Um, I will say that Nazrat Hopcross versus Landon Quinones fight was a banger. Uh, Landon Quinones was throwing lead and Nazrat was just not accepting defeat. It didn't matter how many of those leg kicks he'd eat. He just would not slow down. He kept steaming and piling forward and fuck. You love to see it, man. Um, and any thoughts on that fight? And and what do you think is next for Nasrat? I feel like he can't keep an opponent without them dropping out at least once or twice. <laughs> You're absolutely right. He has had the worst luck in that department for sure. Uh, but yeah, man, I, I think you uh, hit the nail on the head. I mean, my two cents is that he was certainly leading the dance the whole way. Um, it just felt like Landon was just a, a bit behind, you know, just frankly a bit outclassed in there. He, he, he landed a lot of strikes. You know, the numbers certainly suggest that it was pretty darn close, but when you look at the judging scoring and just again how it felt, uh, he was just a little bit behind. Again, Nasrat, we knew he's he's a legitimate guy here in in the division. And so, like I said, in terms of what what's next for him, um, I mean, you, you got to give him a legitimate name now, right? I mean, he can't be fighting down anymore. He, he's he's earned that right to um, if he's not in the top fifteen yet. I'm trying to quickly look here, but I believe he should be in contention, right? To be tickling that top fifteen, I would say. Absolutely. I mean, he, he's, he needs a named opponent. He needs a ranked opponent and he needs someone that's going to push him to his limits because quite frankly, we just haven't seen it yet. Um, but that being said, I mean, I, I digress. I feel like he did. I mean, again, he did put on a great fight against Landon Quinones. It wasn't one way traffic though. I do feel like Landon was put, giving him hell and uh, making it every second worth his while in that fight. He was showing him that he was in there against a stud of a young man and that he was not going to be a pushover. Um, I mean, again, the strikes were 152 to 172. So it's not like Landon was a pushover. He just wasn't landing the bigger, stronger shots. He did land a lot of, uh, not unanimous, um, sorry, significant strikes to the leg. And, you know, you love to see that. But it just, like you said, it wasn't really enough. So time for Nazareth to get a ranked opponent. Time for us to see him kind of step up in in that realm. And moving forward, Jamie Malarkey going in against John McDesi. My goodness, what a banger. I mean, I thought that was going to be a fun fight, but man, it was more fun than I expected it to be. Yeah, brother, you hit the nail on the head. I mean, it was a fun one. I mean, this this card did not disappoint. Our boy Jamie Malarkey was able to do, like I mentioned, I mean, able to use the size. Um, but man, I mean, John Macdessy, it was it was a close one, man. This was a banger all around. How, how did you have it scored? Did you were you leaning Malarkey like I was? I mean, granted, I was biased, but. Uh, did you see? Did you feel like Macdessy might have edged him out, or what were your thoughts on that one, brother? I thought Macdessy did a really good job uh, weathering the storm and really coming forward through those hard shots. Um, but I, I did think ultimately Malarkey did enough across the distance. I had it two one. I did think that Macdessy did enough to win one of those rounds. Um, sorry for that sound. You know, it's bellow ah, time. It's, it's the um, best crack of the day, right there. Love that. You love to hear it, baby. You love to hear it. Cue in the uh, our soundbite we need to get brought to you by Modelo. <laughs> I seriously was thinking that, and I was like, "Oh man, I need I need to prep that for the next one for sure." Um, brought to you, you by Modelo. 
Uh, I was going to so, say, that's a great one. If uh, the crowd thinks of any other good sound bites, drop them in the chat. We'll try to yeah, get them please. in here. Any, any sound bites that you want, go ahead and drop those in the chat and, uh, you know, just bounce those ideas right onto the top. Um, Come so, on. again, going right forward, I, I thought Jamie Malarkey did exactly enough to win the fight. It was very, very close. It was 88 to 85 on total strikes landed, 88 to 83 on significant strikes landed in favor, obviously, of our boy Jamie Malarkey. Just telling you that all 88 strikes he landed were significant, folks. Um, Malarkey is, is a man whose name is Malarkey, but when he's throwing those fists and those feet at you, there's no Malarkey there, guys. There's no fluff. Um, it, no fluff. It's all stuff, guys. And it's stuff that means business. Stuff that's venomous. Stuff that's there to hurt you. And uh, Malarkey got it done. I was surprised that he went 0 for 2 on takedowns over John McDesi. Good for John McDesi on improving his takedown defense there. Uh, but still, I, I do think he's getting close to the end of his career. Don't really know what's next for John McDesi. But Malarkey, I mean, he, he's stringing them together a lot here lately, and I look forward to seeing what's next for him. I don't, I don't think I, sh I should play matchmaker for him, but I look forward to seeing what Sean Shelby and them do with him. Did you have any names on the tip of your tongue? No, brother. I would agree with you. This lightweight division stacked, right? I mean, a Nazareth is another name there where has every right to be in the conversation for that top 15. And Jamie Malarkey put on a great performance as well. You know, I mean, that top 25, you look at all those names there and it's, it's a murderer's row. So the fun part about having such a stacked division here and, um, you know, hopefully not getting any injuries, things like that. Again, it's all timing. But yeah, hard to be Sean Shelby, hard to be in the war room. But give us another good name. And anybody in that division is always fun, man. They always bring the A game. So I'm, I'm all for it. Absolutely. Um, I mean, in this next one, guys, like, I'll be completely honest. I thought Jose Mariscal uh, had, a, had a chance. He had a puncher's chance and a kicker's chance. Um, you said, I believe it was you that said he has that dog in him. Um, or maybe it was, maybe it was, uh, Tico tech, but either way, I we mean, all recognize dogs when we oh, see them. I know recognize man. dogs when we see them. Jose Mary yeah. skull. My goodness, dude, Jack Jenkins, Jack Jenkins came in there and I mean, he just, he, he looked absolutely, uh, Jack Jenkins like for that whole first round. He was uh, he was landing leg kicks. They were disgusting. They looked like they were ultimately doing a lot of damage. And then as soon as that second round started, um, I, I just had a weird feeling in the pit of my stomach, sitting in that damn Buffalo Wild Wings with the the Black Auto sitting there with me. Um, and man, let me tell you, it, it was just it was bad news bears for me because I had Jack Jenkins on pretty much fucking everything I had. Um, bad bad news bears again. Three minutes and 19 seconds into round two. They're calling it a TKO via arm injury. That's simply not the case. The man got judo tossed onto his face. Um, I mean, it was disgusting. Yeah, it was It was like a big brother tossing his old little bro onto the bed there and telling him, you better be quiet now, boy. Yeah, it was, uh, I think it was, is it called Ogashi? Um Gosh. Yeah, I think it's I think it's called an Ogashi because you say, "Ooh, gosh, ee. ah, exactly." Oh, gosh, he got me <laughs> oh, again. Gosh, that's that's what try. it felt like for Jack Jenkins, guys. Like that's that's what it had to have felt like for Jack Jenkins. The man got got. Uh, he got got pretty darn bad. 
you hate to see it happen. Uh, he literally got Ogashied onto his face. And um, the on the night, unless I, I misheard it, they were calling it a verbal tap. I believe he might have. Is that he got injured, right? Did he break his arm or his elbow on that? Maybe he broke his arm, but I mean, it, it started. See, yeah, that's what I'm saying. It was like, I thought it was ruled a verbal initially. <sighs> a technical knockout loss. Tap, tap, because he got like his arm snapped. I don't I know. I think so. Yeah, he probably was able to move the arm that got trapped he, or got way, thrown. Disgusting. Yep. Yeah. Um, According to Jack Jenkins here. If you look it up on here, Google, it's a KO slash TKO. Sorry, mm, go ahead. I was just going to say here, according to SureDog and according to Jack Jenkins right after, dislocated the elbow, went straight to the hospital. No fractures or anything like that, but he's going to need an MRI. Uh, they're a little bit worried about some ligaments might have ruptured. So best case, none of them ruptured. He'd get back pretty soon. Worst case, might need surgery. And that's just that's just the fight game. But um, yeah, man, he's a talented kid. Hopefully for uh, um, hoping that nothing ruptured. You know, again, that was a, that was a tough one. The body can only take so much. But um, he's a dog, man. I hope to see him back soon. But we got to start talking about this boy, Chepe, man. He looked legit. And I don't know what's next for him, but he, he got through a big name there, a big test. And Jack Jenkins, regardless, you know, injury or not, I mean, he still looked good. He was still out striking him. I mean, man, ex- yeah, like I said, excited to see what's next. Uh, I, I mean, at this 145 division. Or I, did he go... Well, he kind of fights back and forth, right? He's a, he fights at lightweight, but I think he took this at 145, right? So I don't know if he's staying here. I guess a, a lot can, lot to be determined for our boy here, Chet. This Beth. man is a BJ Penn style fighter. He fights at every weight class. Um, <laughs> I like it. Seriously, so yeah, he's I been mean, floating like, around, but he looked good anyway. at this. Yeah, he looked good at this weight class. Maybe, maybe good. you know, lay off the food, st- stay a little disciplined here for a few years, and try to make a run lay for, off at 145. The food, oh, the fun food. <laughs> okay, all right. Moderately. But lay off the fun <laughs> food. Um, yeah, I, I got to agree with Tico Tech LLC here in the chat. He said, but that arm got fucked because he got slammed. So, I mean, that's a that's a straight up fact, folks. The arm literally did get effed because he got slammed on his face and uh, his arm just leveraged the wrong way, folks. That's what happens. Sometimes that's the way the cookie crumbles or in this factor, uh, the way the arm crumbles or the bone behind it. So moving into the next fight, we had one hell of a fight between... Jung Dun going in against Carlos Olberg. Carlos Olberg is truly becoming a standout name in the light heavyweight division of the UFC. This man came out there, landed 91 strikes across just under three rounds before finishing, not by knockout, but by submission. Again, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, fight fans of all ages, shapes and sizes, the submission known as the rear naked choke. RNC for short, boy, it was it was uh it was all over the freaking place. It was here, it was there, it was every freaking where. RNC, RNC. Uh, so you know, I mean, the RNC, you love to see it, and it was beautifully pulled off, beautifully executed. Um, I honestly thought that Carlos was just gonna ground and pound him out to a victory at via TKO, but that simply wasn't the case. Uh, we got to see a, a big name for this guy next. What are your thoughts, Nana? What did you think of his performance? And uh, who is on the tip of your tongue for Carlos Olbert? Yeah, brother. Great performance by uh, M- Jason Momoa, Aquaman 2.0 here. Um, against a tough Duwoon Jung. Uh, he he handled his own, man. You know, he he stretched out Carlos Olbert Ul- uh, as far as he could, right? I think it's the first time he's gone three rounds. So um, it was a good back and forth. We saw he's able to dig deep. 
um, earned my respect there. Not that I was down them, but you know, I think sometimes when you have so many first round finishes at a light heavyweight or a heavyweight, it begs the question: What is what do you look like in that ten through fifteen minutes? And he looked really good. He didn't settle. He got the choke, got that submission finish under his belt. Little bragging rights there, I'm sure, in his uh in the locker room with all the boys. But um, yeah, I mean, honestly, in terms of what's next for him. I'm looking at the bottom half of this light heavyweight division. I mean, 11 through 15, I don't want to say it sounds stale, but man, you put Carlos in there and I think he can handle his own against any of these boys. You know, Justin, Dustin, Jacoby just fought here in August uh, about a month ago. Impressive win. Alonzo Menafield has an impressive win over my boy Jimmy Crute. So, I mean, Dominic Reyes hasn't fought in a long time. That's a big name. That'd be a death sentence for him, I think, unfortunately. Um, but there are a lot of great names there. I think Alonzo will be a fun striker's del- uh, delight. Uh, Dustin Jacoby will be a fun challenge for him in terms of with his kickboxing. Anybody in that top 11, Khalil Roundtree, a fun name that's very reputable and it's always scary going in there. If I'm Carlos, man, I mean, or if I'm Sean Shelby and the guys, I know we got another guy that we could pump up and make this division real interesting. What do you think, brother? I mean, I think a lot of the things that you said, I completely agree with. I do think out of all the names you said, Khalil Roundtree is probably going to be the best uh, matchup stylistically and and just all around. I think Carlos Olberg and Khalil Roundtree Jr. match up both stylistically and also at these points in their career. I think they'd be a very, very fun stylistic matchup to watch. Um, I honestly don't know who I'd bet. If I, if I had to bet somebody in that fight, I'd probably take Khalil Roundtree. But again... Carlos Olberg shocks me every time he goes out there. And this was this was no different. He looked incredible out there. And speaking of somebody that looked incredible out there, we had the pleasure man, Anton Turkelsh, coming in against Tyson Pedro. I'll let you take the lead on this one, Nano. I mean, yeah, you, you led in there saying, you know, speaking of looking good, you started with the pleasure man. I'll say the pleasure man was uh, not looking too pleasurable in there, might I say. Uh, <laughs> uh, but yeah, I mean, what what can we say? A great performance here by boy Tyson Pedro. Really didn't need more than a couple minutes here in the first round. And it, it just felt like Anton just really didn't have anything for him. You know, I think he was a little hesitant on the trigger there. Uh, but Tyson Pedro, man, the way he was walking him down. It just felt like he had all that momentum. And, and once he got a paw on him, oh, my goodness. And then the fin- uh, the celebration after with the dagger and everything, that, that was that was real clean. That was real nice, man. I think Tyson, that, that might have just been years of just pent-up aggression and, and ring rust that turned into gold, man. He, Tyson looked good in there, brother. I was excited to see it. Um, curious to hear your thoughts and what's next for him. I mean, again, another talented guy here in, in a very... I'll say open light heavyweight division. I mean, that top 15, man, it's a swinging door. Love to see him and Carlos start to get some of those big names because you ain't getting any younger. And, and those are some impressive performances. What do you think, brother? Oh, I mean, I, I completely agree with, again, everything you said is, um, I mean, it's basically music to my ears, right? When I when I saw that Tyson Pedro was, was fighting on the card, you know, my, my first reaction was obviously, you know, I, I peaked with interest. I was very excited. I was, you know, I was super stunned uh, to see that he was going to be on the card. Uh, and <laughs> then I looked who he was going against. You know, I, mean, I was like, um, and then, uh, and, uh, you know, I, I was I was very excited again to see that he was on the card. But then I saw who he was against. And again, like, even though the guy he's against, Anton Turkalj, uh, the pleasure man, didn't have the greatest... Um, winningest record in the world i did think that he was a very dangerous opponent and so my next immediate emotion was 
you know, I mean, ah, shit, it's going to be another bad one. It's going to be another tough one. Um, I've, honestly, I, I didn't think it was going to be a great night. I didn't think it, it was going to be amazing. That's for damn sure. And then not only does this young man go out here, folks, and get it done in emphatic fashion, but he got it done in two minutes and 12 seconds. And then, honestly, like, the only thing that was more impressive than his finish was what he did after. He did this crazy anime samurai sword slice and dice and tuck. Had me like... Like, I was seriously <laughs> dying, dude. I have probably went back and rewatched that thing like fucking eight times. And, um, you know, Mary, Mary said in the chat last week that she no longer has a crush on him. And that's okay because I do. Um... And here we are. Tide shifts, huh? <laughs> the turntables. Oh, how the turntables! <laughs> Love you so much, dude. <laughs> I stole it from you. I knew it was coming. Oh my goodness! Yeah, man. I mean, it was like he was uh, wielding King Arthur's hand, uh, sword of some sort. It was some big old Valyrian dagger. Wow! Still had. It was enough like gladiator feel to it, but then the bow of respect after. It was nice. Man, it felt. It, it felt phenomenal. to me like a like a katana sword. The long style samurai sword. Ooh, I felt like he was go. doing the finishing slice, and then he did the sling to get the blood off of it. Spin. And he tuck did into his, his his uh holster. You're right. You're right. That's sick. what it was. It was that sick. was clean. That was sick. Um, sorry, I'm a big sword nerd. <laughs> <laughs> big history nerd. Big sword nerd. Big big just martial arts in general nerd. Um, yeah, Nano has a crush on him too, for sure. We both do. I mean, it's a fact. I mean, uh, what can I say? How can you not? How can how can how can you not? It's hard not to. Uh, so I mean, Anton Turkov definitely did predict the way the fight was going to go at the presser a day and a half, two days before the fight. He did say, uh, "You can ask my opponent after Saturday why they call me the Pleasure Man uh, because he will taste the pleasure." I gotta say, in that outcome, um, I mean, again, what can I say? I other than pretty sure Tyson Pedro was definitely the one that tasted the pleasure on Saturday night. We'll be here all night, folks. Be here all night. You know what I'm saying? Gammy. Calm down. Calm down. So, so yeah, I mean, again, he he really did find out why they call him the Pleasure Man, and that's because, you know, when you beat him, you might just win a $50,000 bonus, um, which I sure hope Tyson Pedro did because, again, two and a half minutes to get that crazy knockout. All I can say is not to be outdone by Justin Taffa, the bad man himself. Sheesh. Who got it done in just a minute and 22 seconds. What the... What the absolute... I mean, the, the guy just went out there and he made it look fucking stunningly easy. Crazy thing is, Austin Lane landed a, a whopping two eye pokes in the rematch that had to take place due to a stoppage after 29 seconds due to an eye poke. Um... He had a couple nut shots in there too. If I don't, if my memory serves me, at least one I recall. Your memory, your memory serves you. Uh, though drunk you may have been, your memory stayed strong. Right, you are. Okay. It's his key. <laughs> right, you. So, uh, what, what were your thoughts on Bad Man, and what do you think is next? I mean, brother, I feel like we pretty much called it out. That was probably the closest, uh, I guess, take we had. You know, I just felt like Austin was going to go in there, try to stay on the outside, pick his shots. But he just he didn't have enough for him. I mean, uh, our boy Justin here, he knew what he was looking for, and he just waited until he got it. And it didn't take long before it just sat our boy down, Austin Lane, and and it was a wrap before it even got started. I mean, this guy 
Justin, man, I mean, when you're that big and you know how to throw powers or the, you know how to throw your hands with that amount of power, I mean, and that left hand, man, what a beautiful, beautiful hand he's got because he was looking for it. You know it's coming. And just a slick little head movement right off the center line, boom, straight down the pipe. I think it might have hit him around the forehead and just knocked him back and into the the shadow realm. But really, really, uh, I guess, I mean, I'm not surprised, man. You know, I mean, it's just that's I think we saw that coming. But really excited for Justin. It's a huge statement for him. Um, and there's a lot of big boys that you can square him off against. I'd be curious to hear if you have any names. I'm going to quickly look here if there's anything that sounds interesting. I mean, but all these heavyweights, man, especially in that bottom of the 15. I mean, there are some big names there. I don't know if. I don't know if you throw them all the way up there, but that was a, a, a statement, right? What do you think? I mean, I, I think you I think you throw them right all the way up there. Like, let's be completely honest. Heavyweight is a fun, it's a fun uh, weight class, but it's only a fun weight class because it is so easy to immediately break into the top of the rankings. Um, I mean, you're looking at somebody who's not even really ranked. In bad man, uh, but at the same time, you're looking at somebody who realistically should be ranked. Uh, Justin Taffa is a force to be reckoned with, and I don't think it's crazy just to maybe pair him up against like a Jarzinho Rosenstruck or mm. even a uh, an, an Alexander Romanov. I um I think those both names, of those names are very fun, uh, right. and if if neither of those names are willing to take it, uh, again like Marcin Tibura, Marcos Rogerio de Lima, a, an easier one for me would be. Um, Sorry, Rodrigo Nascimento. I think Rodrigo Nascimento would be a really easy one to pair him up against. And he's right on the edge of 15. You have someone in Justin Toffa who's right on the outside of 15. Gotta be at this point. Um, let's see how he does. And, and Black Hato, you're right, man. You called it against all odds and Ric Flair tactics. He won with a hook. But you called the wrong hand. But you know who didn't call the <laughs> wrong hand? Your boy. Your boy. Um, I knew it was going to be the lead check hook. And I just, dude, I knew you have a long lanky fighter that likes to push and you have a fighter that can do the step back. Mark hunt, sit down, son. Um, and that, that, that's how it played out. That's what started it off. And then boy, oh boy, when he came over, you were right on that finishing touch, man. He came across with a crazy overhand. You can call it a hook depending on the angle or what camera you're looking at it from, but he knocked the hell out of that kid. And um, it, it was a fun finish. It was a really fun finish. A minute and 22 seconds. All minute and 22 seconds of it was very fun in the very first round. And um, I, again, I'm here for it all day. I thought it was a fantastic fight. I thought it was a fantastic finish. I think you got to give this guy someone in the top 15 next. I love it, brother. I love it. I, I, I would agree. I think the Jarzinho or Alexander Romanoff are great matchups. The Rodrigo take would be fire if he wasn't going to be already fighting in November against, uh, I think it's Dontel Mays, who's not yeah. ranked. But hey, maybe if something falls through, call up our boy Justin Toff. You know he'll be ready. So we'll he see. He's a bad man. He's ready to go. Uh, moving into the next one, we, we only have a, a few more before we jump into this week's card, guys. We're breezing right on through this. Manel Cop coming in against Felipe Dos Santos. I got to be honest with you. Um, I'll, I'll let you take the lead on this after I make this one little note. Uh, win or no win. I know Manel Cobb got the win here, but Felipe Dos Santos, I believe, is the bigger star of this fight. I mean, he definitely earned more credibility, I think, with this fight. You know, I think everyone was 
knowing what Manel Cop was going to bring to the table. You know, he did take the final short notice as well. But Felipe Dos Santos, man, at 22 years young, I mean, no one has given this guy a chance, man. But he went out there. He put his heart in his sleeve. He made his country proud. He made his coaches proud. He made himself proud. He made me proud, man. I was really excited to see that performance. And he had Manel starched a couple times in there. I mean, there were a few times where I thought he could really like steal the momentum of this fight or potentially put him out, which would have been crazy. But Manel found a way to recover. He is a pro. He is really good at fighting. He, uh, and I believe he fights out of Extreme Couture with all those boys, um, Eric Nixick and uh, Sean Strickland. Maybe not full-time, but I think maybe in this last fight he was training with those guys. Um, everything was you know exceptional in terms of that fight. I mean, one of the best fights of the night for sure. It, it was nothing but fireworks the entire time. It went back and forth. Those big pendulum swings were huge. Uh, but Manel was just a little too strong, you know, a little too durable down the stretch. And everything considered, I mean, even, everything was great except the call out. Uh, just getting a little ahead of himself, making DC literally leave the cage because he just drops an F-bomb. And not your typical F-bomb, a different F-bomb. Uh, <laughs> one you might have heard in the early 2000s. But, yeah, um, not not ideal there. But uh, curious to hear your thoughts on what's next. I mean, seems like Kai is maybe the next logical step for Manel uh, Cop. But what did you think of the performance of the fight overall? I mean, I thought the I thought the performance of the fight was fantastic. Um, as the Black Hotto said in the chat, you mean Charlie Olive's number eight? Absolutely, for mean Charlie Olive's number eight. For real. Um, I, I prefer to call him Charlie Olive's eight point oh. Uh, he looked fantastic there in there. He looked fantastic in there. Didn't by any means look like a ripoff. Uh, instead, he looked like somebody who went out there, learned everything positive from Charlie Olives, but nothing negative. He didn't have any of the sloppiness that Olives brings to his game plan or typically does, in my opinion, uh, but but all of the positive things, right? So he he came out there, um, or rather none of the negative things, I should say. Um, he came out there with a solid game plan, forward pressure, forward, forward, forward pressure. And again, the guy was just an absolute stud. Kept moving forward against a very game Manel Starboy cop. Um, I thought Manel cop did more harm than good with the post-fight speech as well as the um, pre-fight presser. Uh, standing up to Adesanya, doing the things that he did. I don't think he gained any fans, uh, or at least not the kind of fans that are going to stick around and, and help keep the lights on for him in the future. So, with all due respect, I, I, I think he should pick a character and stay with it. I don't think the bad boy look is a good one for him. He doesn't tread it very well. And again, with all due respect, he fought a young man who stepped up on very short notice for this fight. Um, a, a young man who in Felipe Dos Santos is making his UFC debut. This was his eighth fight professionally, and he's only 23 years of age. So you're talking about somebody who you barely beat, you squeaked it out on, and then you're calling out somebody who's in the top three next. Again, I say with all due respect, stay in your lane, kid. You haven't earned it. And he yeah. dodged a significant bullet by not having to fight Kai Kara France because Kai Kara France, th that Manel cop would have gotten starched. He'd have gotten obliterated by Kai on any night, on any night, in any octagon, in any country, in any area, any time of day. It would not have been good for him against Kai Kara France. Like he would have given a lot of people who, if they were tuning into Kai Kara France for the first time, reason to wholeheartedly believe in the nickname Don't Blink. I love that. I love that. And I agree. I agree, man. I would say that um, 
Yeah, apparently he was pretty apologetic after, you know, getting caught up in the heat of the moment. I get that, you know, they're, they're fighters. They're not politicians. I, I can understand that. But, yeah, I think it was obviously there before. It lingered after. You got the win. You know, be respectful. Usually after that kind of adrenaline dump, usually people are kind of like, all right, you know, this is it. I'm good. Um, but, yeah, again, I think not earning the right fans there, in my opinion, as well. Um, but all things considered, he is still at the top of the division now. I, I don't think it. I mean, Kakar France seems like the obvious pick here if you're going to give him anybody in that top five. Um, but man, when you look at Brandon Moreno, Pantoja, all those guys, man, I mean, it's it's levels, and he's going to have to really tighten up, continue to improve, stay focused, sharpen up his defense. But man, one twenty five has got another contender. They definitely do. Uh, I don't know if you're talking about Manel Cop or uh, Felipe de Tonya Dos Santos. Uh, I would I would hope you're talking about Dos Santos. <laughs> <laughs> well, both of them, man. I mean, hey, Dos Santos, he's so young. I mean, I, I don't know what would be next for him, but you know he showed a lot of skills. You know he's talented. Just maybe put on a little size, a little strength, you know, sharpen up the defense a little bit. But, man, kid's a savage. I mean, he's we're going to be hearing a lot about him over the next few years, 100%. Absolutely. Uh, I mean, again, th- this this kid is going to be somebody that is going to completely be on our radar. Um, I'm, I'm glad that he took this fight on short notice and that it was on the main card because as a result of that, he will be on a lot of people's radar now. Um, and again, you, you just... you love- So, happy with his performance. Happy with Manel Cop's performance. Wish he wouldn't have gotten the mic afterwards. Probably would have done himself some favors and the fans... Moving into the co-main event of the evening, uh, we had Alexander Volkov coming in against Ty Tuivasa. That was a tough one to watch. Um, I mean, it was one-way traffic just about as much as it can get. 107 total strikes landed to 30. Um, 93 significant strikes to 28. Uh, I mean, it was just bad. It was it was bad meets worse for Ty Tuivasa. Uh, let's see what the Blackado said in the chat. He says... Tai Tuivasa has reached Derek Lewis status of the heavyweight division. Fan favorite, fun to watch. Doesn't beat the cream of the crop, but always has a puncher's chance. I agree with that. I think he always has a puncher's chance. JJ Smoke coming in with the smoke instantly. Ty was never good, is what he said. Um, Ouch. <laughs> you know, I mean, that's uh, that's a tough one to hear. I'm not even going to lie to you, man. That's uh, we don't We don't love to hear that here. Um, but, you know, sometimes the truth is the truth. That's fair. You know, um, it is what it is. Ty, Ty yeah. is, he's okay, but he's, he's never going to be a champion, I don't think. He uh, he does have a puncher's chance. I think uh, John Anik says that he believes in his heart of heart. He said this in the uh, podcast, the Anik Florian podcast. Shout out, Anik Florian podcast. Uh, the new episode from this week, he said he still thinks that Ty Tuivasa has a chance to fight for the bell someday. What are your thoughts on that? And what are your thoughts on his performance this Saturday? Oh, man, I love my boy, John Anik. I love Kenny Florian, Ken Flo, and, and the boys at the over at the pod, the whole crew that they have there. But I'm going to have to disagree with my boy, Anik, man. And I love Tai Tuivasa. I have the shirt. I will do shoeies. And in fact, I probably need to be doing one. I don't have anything accessible, but best believe that probably will have to get done. <laughs> um, because, yeah, I mean, the truth of the matter is, there's levels in this game. And I think especially in the heavyweight division, it's very unforgiving. Yes. Everyone has a, a puncher's chance, but when the guy on the other, 
Sadia has that same puncher's chance, but also more skills, more tools in the tool bag. He's going to find a way to get the job done quicker, more creatively. That's just the facts. And and the thing is, with time, mean, he's a fan favorite. There are still a lot of great matchups for him. I'd hate to see him eventually become a, a gatekeeper here in the division. Um, but, you know, the likes of a Derek Lewis, I mean, again, he's only 30 years old, like, yeah, I mean, again, Derek's much older than him, and he's still a, a, a suitable name in the division. So I think if Ty wants to stick around, he can certainly continue to maintain his status, I believe. But to say he's ever going to surpass, I mean, I mean, just look. I mean, obviously, he lost at two of them, but a surreal gone who's getting better each time he goes out there. A Sergey Pavlovich, who just seems like a freaking Terminator. Aspinall's up there, you know, and and. And those are the guys that are going to be next for Volkov. But the reality is, yeah, Ty's just not in that class, unfortunately. Freaking great guy. I would love to get blitzed with him one day. But, um, yeah, just all around. I don't think I don't think World Champs in his uh, deck of cards, unfortunately. Volkov, on the other hand, the boy's nasty. I mean, again, I mean, uh, Tom Aspinall would be fun to see him square off against. I think uh, Curtis Blades would have been really fun. But, unfortunately, Jalton Almeida is going to take that opportunity and if Jalton jumps up there, I mean, that is another name that's fun, explosive, just scary. So I don't know what you do with Volkov. He's kind of in between a rock and a hard place or just waiting to see how the dust settles with Stipe, with John. But you, you give Volkov one of those guys, right? And, and it's going to be a fun one. What do you think, brother? I completely agree. I think you give Volkov any of those guys. Uh, honestly, you give Volkov somebody in the top five, it's gonna be it's gonna be fireworks. I think he is absolutely uh, is now and has always been a contender in that division, uh, and he just continues to get better and better every time you give him time to. This was no different, right? He he again looked better, and I don't think that this is any like it's just not gonna change. He's going to beat most people in the top five. There are your anomalies that will beat him, but it's one of those things where if you run him versus anyone in the top five, even the top three, 10 times, five out of 10 times, Volkov probably wins. That's tough. That's what makes heavyweight exciting. Um, the Blackout said the heavyweight division isn't deep. A couple wins and boom, ranked number six or is fighting for a title. I completely agree. He's like one or two solid wins away from fighting for a title right now. There's a lot of heavyweights in that position, I feel like. But yes, he's definitely one of them, especially after it went over Ty. I mean, he's right and, there. He's He's been around. And I mean, can we call a spade a spade? If Ty gets two very impressive wins, he's one more fight away from a title too. So he's two to three solid fights away from a title again himself, even with this big loss. Yeah, I mean, who knows how much longer Steve is going to be around? Who knows how much longer John Jones is going to be around? Cyril's, I think, mid-30s. Yeah, there could be some turnover real soon. Curtis Blades is on the older side. I mean, some of these guys, if they don't make an immediate push, all of a sudden it's Ty, it's Tom Aspinall, maybe a Volkov as well if he's six rounds. He's just so darn big and durable. He's getting better. Exciting to see what's next for him, man. But heavyweights, there's some matchups to be made. I mean, absolutely. I mean, and, and here's the thing. Like, if if uh, he waits, if, if Ty Tuivasa gets a good win, and the Biggie Boy versus Ty is a solid fight, JJ Smoke. I, I'd love to see that fight. Biggie Boy versus Ty. And if Ty wins, like, here's the thing. If Volkov gets uh, a couple of losses, he's probably going to retire. If he gets a win and wins the belt, he's probably going to retire. And other than Volkov and and maybe, like, I don't know, maybe, like, uh, the guy that's already beat him, real gun. 
who, who's who's the biggest problem child for him? I mean, you know, your Sergey Pavlovich, maybe. Um, Tom Aspinall, maybe, but he's got a puncher's chance against those guys. And how long until Surreal ends up retiring? You know, once the milk goes bad, the cereal gone. <laughs> I like dry cereal too, but you know, you Does right. <laughs> I know, I know. Um, no, but but seriously, like I, I do feel like he does have a puncher's chance in most of these fights in the top five, still tied to Ivasa. But I do agree with the Black Hato in the chat. Frank Mir Jr. is most likely the next champ. And by Frank Beer Jr., of course, he means Tommy Aspinall. Tommy Aspinall. No, 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 no. Um, Got to get that sound clip for sure added to nice. the podcast. Uh, the buttons to. over here. For sure. Um, so, yeah, I mean, th- there's a lot of things that are next for these guys. But again, heavyweight is a very shallow division. So top five could be next for both of these guys if we're really, really being serious. Uh, Tai Tuivasa probably fights someone right inside of the top 10 or right outside of the top 10 and Volkov likely fight someone uh, inside of the top five and then gets a title shot next moving into this next fight what in the actual hell happened with Sean Strickland versus Adesanya which universe is this again um I mean it was pretty wild that that is the way it happened um Man, you know, I mean, the thing is, like, it's one of the least likely things that could have ever happened, right? But sometimes that's the way the cookie crumbles. And that's the way the news goes. You know what I'm saying? (laughs) Uh, Sean Strickland got it done. And uh, I was shocked. I was more so shocked. I, I was more shocked than the fact that he got it done by how he got it done. I thought the way that he got it done was more impressive, in my opinion. He he outclassed Adesanya. He beat him with one twos, just crispy one twos and teep kicks. Um, Brother, hey, meet some potatoes, man. But I'll tell you what, potatoes. after I did more research on Sean and just hearing Eric Nixick do his like roundabout uh, interviews and everything, I mean, the guy's all over the place right now. I love it. It's awesome. Soak it in for sure. Uh, but even getting to know him more, just kind of putting extreme couture in perspective and realizing that Randy Couture Jim, I mean, has been around for a long time and is a legitimate powerhouse that just isn't really talked about for whatever reason. Um, man, I mean, my main takeaway here was, yeah, like you said, I mean, dude, styles make fights. It's the age old expression. And that's what we got here. Right. Um, I mean, we all got it wrong. Vegas got it wrong. It was one of the biggest upsets ever. Um, but what's crazy is it like it's like if you knew you knew right if you're sean and if you've ever trained with him you probably know like what he brings and just how difficult it is to prepare for someone like him i mean lauren tanko knew what she was talking about man like it is not easy to go in there and just know what to do right and and there are a few things that really stood out throughout obviously the fight itself but post fight knowing some of the things added to the perspective for me um I mean, I guess, uh, yeah, one thing just being, I mean, obviously Sean's style, it was a little bit more tightened up. It was a little bit more of that Philly role, but Philly shell, I should say. But what's interesting is hearing Sean talk about it. Um, There was a really like neat video on uh, YouTube. I think Yusuf Hollywood or somebody posted it. And it was like a 30 minute video of him training when Kamzat was there, when Darren Till was there. And um, Sean's basically leading the entire training camp, like. He's he was he was the guy like, I mean, I, I w- you would think 
Sean is like this, the class clown, or he's just like making all these remarks, but no, he's telling everyone what to do. He's making sure people, people like comms out are playing nice with each other, but he started going into his, his technique and his stance and, and not being stiff, like the scientific fundamentals behind it and how he's like, I'm flowing like water. Like I'm constantly flowing. I'm constantly in a position ready to strike. And it, and he makes it look like it's minimal effort. Right. And, it, and it's hard. I mean, if you think you've ever thrown a jab, you're kind of taught to put everything in it, uh, you know, get the roll the shoulder over, you know, finish at the end. But when you watch Sean strike, he does none of that. And I think his big thing in logic is that he's not, uh, everything looks the same. He's not uh, giving you any signs. You just have to get inside. You have to weather the storm, weather the pressure. And where the coaching came in, I'll, I'll quickly get off my little soapbox here, but Eric Nixick mentioned that Adesanya came up to him after because there were multiple times that Adesanya was trying to set up the lead right hand with like the uh, like question mark kick or just like a, a kick, head kick to follow it. And Eric said he was he was seeing it. He was seeing it in the first round, and he just kept telling Sean, "Hey, watch out for that! Watch out for that!" And he would, or don't parry, don't parry, just like keep that up. Sean was making those adjustments, and Izzy said verbatim that you saved your boy's life in there. That you kept coaching him up, and he would listen, and, and he kept getting the reads. Which then I'm like, holy shit, this is like mine, like light bulb moment. He, he wasn't able to get to his spots. I think he was under prepared. I think he undertrained. Or maybe overtrained and just he's so darn busy, right? Is he's always fighting? He's always been in there. He just got off that huge Pajeda like quadrilogy. I think he just didn't. And, and everyone says this every time they fight Sean Strickland or spar with him. That first time he they get in there, he is hard to freaking figure out. He is a menace. It's weird. Nobody gives you a, you know, a look like Sean Strickland does. And it did look like after uh, Izzy got dropped by overextending by trying to force that hook on there like no i mean no setup nothing he just tried to force it right sean got inside hit him hard almost got him out of there and it just felt like izzy just went flat and was just trying to preserve himself trying to just not get ko'd again love to hear your thoughts but i had to get that out because it just felt like is sean like this savant of a fighter and we just (laughs) had no idea or what (laughs) so honestly i mean Sean is, I mean, he's a savant, right? Like he's a beast. He is, um, he's outspoken, right? He's, uh, maybe not the, uh, the nicest person in the world at all times, but that's okay. He is someone who gets the job done above all else. And he's someone who has a meat and potato style striking. And, And sometimes that's exactly what you need in these situations. Candidly, when you're going against, uh, an Israel Adesanya, um, and again, like that is that is something wholeheartedly that he puts on display every single fight, time in and time out. So you love to see it, folks. Um, he, he gets it done. He got it done. And for lack of better words, he made it look pretty damn easy. Uh, Izzy picked Sean in the fight. Uh, he wanted to fight Sean versus Drinkus Duplessis. And I think Sean was a worse matchup for him than Drinkus Duplessis was for sure. Because, I mean, realistically, <clears throat> I, I don't think that this would have been as as tough of a matchup for him if it was Drickus. I think Drickus would have been more predictable with his forward striking, and he would have gotten pieced up on the outside. Um, I definitely had Izzy going into this fight. I had Izzy winning this fight anywhere it went. But Sean Strickland 
proved that a basic one-two and a teep kick for distance control is an incredible game plan, especially when you're constantly marching forward and not allowing somebody who's very known for finding their rhythm and their flow state to find their rhythm or their flow state. Now, when I was watching this fight, and, and I mind you, I've gone back and I've rewatched this fight already, and the thing that came to mind for me the most when watching this fight, both times I watched it, is a Bruce Lee quote. And that is a quote that I'm sure most of you guys listening have heard have heard in the past, and that's, you know, be water, my friend. Um, that's the part that most everybody who's ever heard that quote has heard and knows, is be water, my friend. Now, there's more to that quote. Bruce Lee goes on to say that a water, like that water can flow or it can crash. It takes the form of what it needs to take the form of. You pour water into a cup, it becomes the cup. You pour it into a bowl, it becomes the bowl. And then he says, you know, you see water can crash or it can flow. Be water, my friend. So I think when we look at martial artists, we we typically see these guys that have a calm, cool flow state. And we think that's a true martial artist. This is what Bruce Lee meant by water. Be water. Uh, but Sean Strickland is equally as much water. He's just a different form of it. And Bruce said it himself. Water can flow or it can crash. Now, water can be a gentle stream flowing constantly, going around rocks until it slowly but surely breaks down those rocks into nothingness. That's Adesanya. He's the flowing stream. Calm, cool, collected. Set in his ways. You know this. Sean Strickland is a waterfall. Crashing water. He's destroying similar rocks, but he's doing it at a much more rapid pace. And it's just a constant onslaught of water. It's a higher pressure of water. It's water that can put you on on your toes with 10 seconds left in round one. And he did that with a simple one, too. Um, now, I, I thought he was going to empty the tank at the end of round two, but he simply didn't. He kept going in the right way. He did lose that second round. He took the second round off, which he needed to. Adesanya won that round. That's the only round I had Adesanya winning on my scorecards, folks. Um, I'm picking Sean in the rematch, too, just like JJ Smoke says in the chat here. I, uh, I, w- I will pick Sean to win the rematch, and I actually think Sean might end up being the champ going into the end of next year. Sheesh. Hey, brother. I mean, that's that's a bold statement, man. I mean, hey, Sean did look great. There's no doubt about it. I mean, like you said, his style, the coaching, the game plan, everything about it, the adjustments he was making all throughout. And and, and make no mistake, I mean, Israel Adesanya, like he threw more punches throughout this fight. And for the guy that's known to be extremely accurate, who seems, who's known to be surgical, he was only landing at a 35% clip. He only landed 35% of his strikes on Sean Strickland, who just sits there and is a, you know, a sitting duck, right? That's what we all thought. But no, that's not the case. It's subtleties. It's it's like you said, the forward pressure. It's really just disrupting Izzy's timing. It was getting inside and getting into those specific situations, you know, getting him up against the cage, knowing that he'll back up, you know, disrupting the jab, knowing that he's trying to counter off of that, making Izzy the, the, the lead in the dance. And then Izzy or then Sean finding his his strikes, finding his marks. And then just and then just keeping his foot on the throat, man. I mean, that's what he does best. I mean, he was able to just like you said, waterfall his way to a victory, completely change the landscape of the division. Now, so much fun stuff you could do with this division. And I think the thing is, is what do you do with Izzy, right? Or if you're Izzy, what do you do? Do you take some time away? You know, ha- has all the time doing the documentary, promoting his documentary. <coughs> Excuse me, living this superstar lifestyle like. 
what are the motivations now, right? I mean, is he going to let this be his Rocky three moment or is he going to, you know, just move on to bigger, better things? I'd be really curious to see what happens here. I'm going to, I'm going to just lean into one of the, you know, most cerebral, one of the most talented fighters who was on track to go and, you know, eclipse uh, an Anderson Silva. I do think he's going to come back, make the adjustments. Things going to take the time away. I actually don't see him taking the initial rematch. I think they might end up giving it to Drickus Duplessis or Jared Cannonier or the winner of a Kamzat versus Paulo Costa. I mean, if Kamzat goes out there and makes easy work of a Paulo Costa, you got to put his name in the conversation. Him and Sean have trained together. I mean, Jared beat Sean. I mean, there's a lot of great narratives, but I do think maybe you squeeze in another fight there, maybe early next year. Then maybe we see return of uh, the last style bender making his last run for the title again um with maybe a drink is two plus c or anybody at, at that point that makes sense uh maybe next summer but I, I think he needs a time away man he's been one of the most active fighters the most active champion in a long time and i mean he was what in like 70 kickboxing fights before that i mean it just feels like man maybe he needs a little bit of a break reset figure out if he wants to go ahead and do this uh, third run here. But I'm curious. I mean, sounds like you got, you're still leaning Sean, but I just had to get that out there because I think Izzy's great, man. And maybe give it some time. Let them, let it marinate a little bit. It'll be fun, but I think he'll come back. And when the dust settles, man, I and mean, he's still one of the best. And maybe it is Sean, like you said, maybe it is him and Sean end of 2024 running it back with a lot of juice. Right. I mean, that gives us that. I mean, it, that builds the story that much more. Right. So we'll see. I mean, absolutely. I, and yeah, it definitely builds the story more. I mean, does he, there's, there's rumors that he might turn around and try and fight again, uh, in like end of September or October against Drake's Duplessis, which would be just absolutely ridiculous. Uh, you're the champ now. Take time, take time, take time. Uh, please take time. Hey, Nano, you got a compliment on the hat there. God, what a great theme song. Let's go. <laughs> and that was unplanned choreography on our part, might I add. You know what I'm saying? Let's see if we get a strike for that. Shout out, Turtle. Uh, <laughs> oh, wouldn't that Compliments be a of Fox. Please don't take us out. Yeah, that's that we, we don't own that sound. Uh, that is a Fox, Fox. theme song. <laughs> the Fox theme song. Uh, yeah, so go Raiders. <laughs> go Raiders. So that's it for UFC 293 reactions. Now... We are going to be moving into this week's fight card. We're, again, not going to go over all the fights here. Uh, we are going to go over fights that we are most excited about, for certain. Um, we won't be doing a bet versus bet this week, so we'll just be talking about the fights and how we see them playing out. Not the not the craziest fight card in the world, but it is a free fight card. We had a lot of cancellations. We had uh, Netan Levy get canceled. We had uh, Yasmin Lucindo get canceled. We had... A Lupita Godinez fight, aka Lupi fight, get canceled. But I digress. She's still on the card. She's just fighting somebody else now. Um, now she's fighting Elise Reed. So we'll go ahead and start off from the early prelims, or rather the beginning of the prelim card, since they don't have them separated out into early prelims for this one. Let's see who is first to talk about. We got Tracy Cortez coming in against Jasmine Jazadavicius. Um, I think this is a very fun fight. I think this is a very winnable fight for both ladies. 
Uh, before I go ahead and say my two cents, I'll go ahead and let you take the lead on this one, Nano. I appreciate it, brother. And yeah, I mean, hey, kicking off UFC Noche, we got the uh, you know kickoff Hispanic Heritage Month as well. I believe maybe that's the whole timing of this. You know, Dana Wyatt, he's been hyping up the uh, Mexico. Um, uh, well, I mean, what is it called? The training center, the Apex Center. Jeez. Um, Talking about the UFC Performance Institute. Performance Institute. Thank you, brother. Yep. So the Performance Institute said he's building globally, trying to you know grow the sport. Uh, the one in Mexico, he's been building for a long time. And as we've known, you know, the uh, last year was the year of the Mexican champion. There's three of them at one point. And now we have our star child, the beautiful Alexa Grasso, uh, leading us off here, UFC Noche, defending her belt. But first, before we get there, obviously, we got the first uh, Latina fighter here, Tracy Cortez, a familiar name, somebody that, you know, has a great social media presence and uh, was most recently, not to get too TMZ here, but was dating Brian Ortega. There was a uh, fallout. She is now back on the market, focused on fighting, which is great to hear. Uh, and I think she's going to do good in protecting that 10 to 1 record. We haven't seen her in quite some time. She hasn't fought since May of 2022, uh, but she is, again, 10 and 1, has a long win streak. And I do think we're going to see a Tracy Cortez that's hungry. She's 29 years old, you know, uh, getting into the prime of her career. I think she's going to show some really uh, fun boxing. She's going to have a lot of heart, us Mexicans do usually. Um, but I do think, you know, Jasmine, uh, oh gosh, I don't even want to try, try to pronounce the last name. Jazza Duvicious? Jazza Duvicious. Jazza Duvicious. I love how her fighting style is brawler. She must be very vicious with her fighting style as well. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I mean, honestly, don't know too much about her. But, I mean, you're looking at a lot of good records on this card. I mean, 9-2 and two here with the Canadian, Jasmine. Uh, a little bit on the older side. We'll have a little bit of a reach advantage. Uh, but everything else here tells me this is a toss-up and should be some fireworks. What do you think, brother? So I absolutely agree. I think this has definitely got fireworks written all over it. Um, I think that this is going to be a very, very fun one. Uh, again, I think this is a winnable fight for both women. If I had to put money on this fight, I would probably put my hard-earned money towards Jasmine Jezidavicious. I think that she has slightly better striking, and I think that she has slightly better grappling. I do think both women would rather grapple if given the option in any given fight, but... Typically, when we see two grapple-heavy fighters, we've seen this play out more often than not, where the grappling, it, it, instead of it being a grapple-heavy match, or grappler's delight, as we like to call it here on the show oftentimes, uh, it more often than not ends up being a striker's delight, because their grappling just cancels each other out. So I think that's going to end up being the case, and realistically, if that is the case, Jasmine should win this fight, even though she has a worse record at 9-2 and two versus the 10-1 and one record of Tracy Cortez, I think she is overall a better fighter in this matchup. And uh, that's why I'm putting Jasmine De Jazz Davidius as my winner here. Uh, I just think she edges it out. I don't think she gets a finish. It'll probably end up being kind of a grindy, windy um, three-rounder. Uh, yeah, Black Otto, wouldn't we all? Black Otto said in the chat, he'd grapple with Tracy. Bet you would. Bet you would. So, moving into the next fight, um, unless you have anything else you wanted to add to that one, which I doubt, um, moving into the next one, we're actually going to skip one and go into Roman Kopilov going in against Josh Fremd. If you don't remember Roman Kopilov, but the name kind of rings a bell, 
He is the guy that looks just like Chase Hooper if Chase Hooper fell into a vat of steroids. Um, or, or TRT or some other uh, mass-enhancing chemical. Uh, but yeah, he, he I've, I've never seen him. Actually, no, I have seen him and Chase Hooper at the same time because Chase Hooper literally posted a video last time he fought saying, here I am. That way you can see I'm not in the octagon fighting in disguise. Uh, so quick turnaround for Roman Kopilov. He is coming in uh, very, very quickly. He just fought July 29th and got the uh, round two knockout over Claudio Ribeiro. And then before that, he fought in January against Punahaley Soriano, two very heavy hitters in both those young men. And now he's coming in against a grapple-heavy Josh Fremd. Uh, man, I'll, I'll go ahead and say my quick tidbit and then let you take the rest on this one. I think Roman Kopilov is definitely the going to be the clear winner in this one. Josh Fremd is a stud when it comes to the grappling, but Roman Kopilov is a Russian mixed martial artist. If you Google Roman Kopilov, it says Roman Kopilov, Russian mixed martial artist. I mean, you don't really have to tell me much more than that, guys. Like, Russian mixed martial artist? If you say Russian, I, I instantly think that he's probably not going to have a problem with the grappling. Am I right? Sold. Yeah, you got it. That's a pretty safe assumption, brother. I mean, even if you get him on the ground for whatever reason, he's bouncing right back to his feet, folks. It's not going to take very long. Um, so I, I think Roman Kopilov stays off the ground here. I think he negates the wrestling onslaught early from Josh Fremd. And then I think he knocks him out pretty quick on as well. Oof. Yeah, brother. I mean, I, I wouldn't be surprised if that happens. I mean, this guy, Roman uh, Kopilov, he does have three knockout wins that he's coming off of here. I mean, the, guy, the guy's a savage. I mean, like you said, he's a Russian martial artist. He's got all the skills. And I do think he's making this quick turnaround because he feels pretty darn good that he's, you know, he's 32 years old. Again, he's got three exciting finishes under his belt already. If he could come in here and finish, get a finish over Josh Fremd, I mean, man, the, the sky's the limit for this guy. And, and Josh, a little bit more of a well-rounded martial artist. He's got some submissions. He's got some uh, decision wins, most recently over Jamie Pickett, you know, notable name there. But when it's all said and done, I mean, you look at this guy, Roman, man, his skills are just nasty, extremely accurate on his feet, has some great leg kicks, will put your lights out any way you want it. And if it goes to the ground, we do know he's, I mean, he's a mixed martial artist, so I think he'll be all right. Uh, I'm going to lean Roman as well. I don't even, maybe, maybe it doesn't even go to a third round. It might be an early stoppage here from a boy, Roman Kopilov, and continue to make a name in a splash here in the middleweight division. You heard it here first. Yeah, I mean, I completely agree with everything that you said. I, uh, I I said it as well. I think he gets the the knockout. I think he gets it done pretty early on. And I mean, man, very quick turnaround. Oh, you're right, Blackado. Him and Holland fought on the same card. You're right. And here we go. Quick turnaround for Holland as well. Getting into that just a little bit later in the card here. Uh, in the next one, we got Lupe Godinez coming in against at least Reed again. Ten and three going against seven seven and three here. Um, five five foot two against five foot two. Very similar reach, only a two-inch reach disadvantage. If Mike Goldberg were still in the UFC, he would probably say, there's a two-inch reach difference here between these ladies. Everything else is virtually identical. Nice. Um, so, I mean, it, everything is virtually identical here. The biggest difference is the skill set, uh, the confidence level. Uh, I mean, there's, there's actually a lot of differences other than the facts that they're built very, very similarly. When it comes to the way that they fight and... I mean, their their careers thus far in and out of the UFC, I got to say, 
Elise Reed has been far less consistent than Lupe Gudinias and uh, has made far less of a name for herself. Since entering the UFC, she's been, again, very, very inconsistent. Loss, win, loss, win, loss, win. So, I mean, if she continues on this inconsistent reign, she's due for a loss. She got a win over Jenny Frey in her last outing just way back in June. Again, quick turnaround for her. Uh, she got the unanimous decision. Before that, she lost to Kung Klok Sufasara, who, again, not a household name, right? Um, losses to Sam Hughes, Sajara Eubanks, etc. Has a win, surprisingly, over Corey McKenna, the Hobbit, a.k.a. Mary Poppins herself. Um, shout out Corey McKenna. I don't know how she lost that fight, but it happens. Uh, that's the only type of thing that gives me confidence in at least reading this fight, because otherwise... I'm leaning all the way in on Lupita Gudinez. I think that she gets it done. I think she gets it done emphatically. Her last wins are over Cynthia Calvillo and Emily Ducote. Like, those are solid names, solid women to have wins over, especially as of recently. So I'm curious to hear your thoughts on this one and just how do you see it shaking up? Yeah, man, I think you have a good breakdown of it. I, I do think that uh, Elise is a little bit more of a spotty, a little bit more of a checkered past. And, and with that in mind, I just think that Lupita, looking at her record, looking at their styles... Uh, and just looking at Lupita's losses, you know, Lupi here at 10 and 3, only losing to a Jessica Penne back in 2021, a Luana Carolina that same year, and then most recently an Angela Hill back in 2022, all took him, taking them to decisions, one of them even being split. Uh, it just feels like she's been around the block with, with a little bit more of reputable talent in this division. And I think that Octagon experience is going to weigh dividends here. I think the strike in, I think anywhere it goes. It's going to end up being in her uh, ballpark. It's going to be her her fight to lose here. I, I think she'll take it to a decision and win um, by, again, mixing it up, you know, being um, using that Mexican boxing that we like to use here around these parts. And then, uh, you know, using the ground game, maybe mixing in some takedowns here and there just to really, really edge it out, really solidify the win here um, at T-Mobile Arena here in Las Vegas. So I'm leaning Lupita. I think the, the Mexican fighters are going to be excited and are going to have a lot of dubs this weekend. I know you're right about it. <laughs> I know that. Um, let's, let's see what turtle said here in the chat. When loopy fights smart, she's great. When she fights dumb, she frustrates the hell out of you. Wrestling is the clear path to victory. 1000, 1000, hundred thousand million percent agree with you. Um, great take. I mean, that's, that's exactly what she needs to do. Wrestling is always the path to victory for her. It's a matter of does she want to try and stand and, and prove that she's a striker, which she's not, and and take unnecessary damage and shots to the face, uh, which could happen against Elise Reed, who is game and willing to straight on the feet, but is a lackluster wrestler in comparison to a Lupi Godinia. So I completely agree with you, Andrew. I think wrestling is the path. Wrestling is the way. And um, fingers crossed that she actually does what she's good at and sticks to her strengths. And uh, I, I mean, I think that as much as of a loopy fan as I am, the thing that could use the most improvement is her fight IQ right now. That's it, man. Yeah, I mean, that doesn't get better without Octagon experience. Yeah, I mean, obviously good coaching, you know, being disciplined. Um, but yeah, I mean, that is tough. I mean, that that is what makes betters frustrated or fans frustrated where, you know, you just want to see consistency. And hopefully she can b continue to build on that consistency. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, so jumping into the main card, I'm going to be honest, one of the fights I was most excited about, Daniel Rodriguez, D-Rod, coming in against Santiago Ponzinibbio, is one that got canceled. Fell off the card. Pretty upsetting. Uh, so, 
again, kind of a lackluster main card, but the top three cards, I got to be honest with you. I got to be completely honest with you. I'm fucking stoked about, man. I am yeah. super stoked on these fights. So uh, is there any before, though? Did you want to talk about Kyle Nelson and Fernando Padilla or uh, Daniel Zeluber or Christos Diagos at all? I mean, obviously, again, a lot of the Mexican fighters here, shout out. I mean, for Fernando Padilla, not too much to say. I, I mean, he's young. He's 26 years old. We haven't seen a lot of him. Um, the, the only guy that I, mean, I wanted to quickly touch on was Daniel Zellhuber. Uh, coming from the Dana White Contender Series, mentioned starting to train MMA when he was 12 years old. I feel like that's like a perfect representation of the Mexican fighting spirit. And, you know, in a country where, you know, you're typically playing soccer. If you're not playing soccer, you're probably doing boxing or you're doing something illegal or you're just working. Right. I mean, you know, we, we don't we don't mess around around these parts. And it does feel like he represents uh, represents himself well. You know, He's a family man. And again, at, at 24 years old, he now has 14 fights under his belt. We see, got to see him fight a few times on the Dana Wyken series. He did lose, but he showed enough heart and grit to earn a contract. Then he went out there and beat Groovy Lando by decision, who's a reputable name in my in my opinion. Um, so I do think you know he's a talented young man. He's rangy. He's a counter counter striker. He's six one in the lightweight division. I think the sky's the limit for this kid. And and I did think it was interesting. He's studying to be a physical therapist as well. So he's got a backup plan. He's smart. Uh, you know, he's got a bright future ahead of him. That's really all I had to say. I'm rooting for him. Um, he's got a tough opponent, though, in Christos Diagos. I mean, 30 fights. He's 33 years old. Um, can he get through a grizzled vet like that? If so, hey, man, this guy might be a problem. Those are my two cents. Definitely agree. Definitely agree. I think, uh, I mean, I don't really have a ton to add, to be honest. I mean, I think Christos Diagos and Fernando Pidula, you know, hometown talent. You got to root for him. Kyle Nelson's a hell of a test for Fernando, though. Kyle Nelson is definitely not a pushover, so I hope Fernando packed a lunch. Um, that being said, I do think Fernando has the tools to win this fight. Gun to my head, I, I'm betting against him and taking Kyle Nelson in this one. I think he goes into hometown territory and uh, gets the upset win over him. Um, Daniel Zaluber coming in against Christos Jagos. 20 and 10 coming in against 13 and 1. I don't understand the odds on this, and I'll be honest. Even though, uh, I mean, it's, it's quite obvious looking at their records, their win-loss ratios, that... You know, uh, Christos Jagos has probably accepted some fights that maybe he had no business accepting in his career, and that's okay. That happens. But I don't think Daniel Zalubra is one of those that he should be super terrified of. I think it's a very winnable fight for Christos, and uh, it'd be another one to notch in the belt. So moving into the fights that we're really stoked on, we got Raul Rosas Jr. coming in against Terrence Mitchell. Um, I think this is going to be a really fun fight, man. I uh, think El Nino Problema... Raul Rosas Jr., finding out of Santa Rosa, California, uh, goes out there. He has a lot to prove after losing to C-Rod himself, Mr. Christian Rodriguez, in his last belt. Um, that being said, Terrence, the Tear Bear Mitchell, is also coming out here after a loss to Cameron Simon, who, in my opinion, is maybe even a little bit tougher than C-Rod himself. Cameron Simon from Africa is an absolute beast. And, um, you know, Terrence went out there and he got knocked out by him. That's okay. That would happen to a lot of folks. The opposite side, Raul Rosas Jr. went out there and lost a long, windy decision to C-Rod. He lost three rounds to him. So you got to think he has a lot to prove here. The young man is just barely 18 years old. Uh, he'll be 19 in uh, October, actually, here next month on the 8th. Happy early birthday. So, 
coming in against a 33-year-old and Terrence Mitchell fighting out of Anchorage, Alaska. This man is no pushover. Um, has has yet to see a win inside of the UFC octagon. Fights mostly out of Anchorage fight nights and uh, AK Entertainment. I, I think that, um, honestly, this, this man has a lot of talent, but he's going to be just outweighed and out-wrestled on fight night come Saturday against Raul El Nino Problema Jr. Um, how do you see this one going, man? I think I think Raul Rosas comes out here and gets it done via submission pretty early on. I would not be surprised by that at all. Um, Raul Rosas Jr., he's a stud, man. He's he's the young prodigy here for, for Mexico. And, and he's no joke, right? I, I think we do need to understand that he's still only 18 years old. You mentioned he's coming off that loss. But he's fighting men that are at the top of the food chain here. We're talking big, grown men, okay? Um, so I do think that loss was a great lesson for him. I think he's going to continue to develop, continue to get to get stronger, and continue to hone in on the craft. I mean, the guy was still in high school when he was going through all these fights. So let's assume he's actually training this like his big boy job now, put his big boy pants on, and uh, he's, again, continue, continuing to develop. But the reality is, is that he is a specialist. I mean, Raul Rojas, he has five submission victories already. He does have one decision win over Mondo Gutierrez, who was somebody that we talked about on the last Ultimate Fighter season, um, who was a, who proved to be a tough kid with a really uh, strong chin until uh, Cody Gibson knocked it off his head. Um, but then the last, uh, and you know, his last KO victory came back in Mexico back in 2022. I think Raul is maybe looking for a second one. I mean, all all jokes aside, I don't know if he'll actually get it because, like you said, Terrence uh, Mitchell is a tough opponent. You know, thirty three years old, he's fourteen and three. He's got a solid ground game, racking up fourteen wins with eight KOs, six submissions, all in that Alaskan fighting circuit. Um, I I do sort of question that a little bit. I mean, I haven't heard of a lot of big, big name fighters coming out of Alaska. So you know, although that record is impressive, is it inflated? And, you know, the reality is, like, he did have a couple fights in the UFC, lots of Kai Car France on the Ultimate Fighter Series season way back when. But then he did also lose a 22-year-old in Cameron Simon. Yes, he is a dog. We all know that. Uh, but so is Raul Rojas. I mean, there's, there's no difference here at all. I, I do think stylistically, or at least, like, height-wise, uh, Terrence Mitchell being a little bit taller, I think is going to make it easier for Raul to get a grip of that tall center frame, get him down to the ground. Uh, but the four inch reach deficit is going to be a little bit of a problem. Can Raul get inside? Can he, you know, not get clipped and can he not, not get bullied like he did in his last fight? Frankly, uh, I'm ruined for Raul. Uh, but Terrence Mitchell is no joke. And, and I mean, I'm hoping he's not just the guy that the UFC keeps feeding all these young, talented prospects to, but it kind of feels that way. <laughs> Yeah, I completely agree. I mean, they're definitely, uh, you know, feeding a lot of these younger guys too. Like Tear, I mean, Tear Bear is not a young guy. He's thirty three, but he's uh, he's getting fed to the younger guy, so that way we don't get him hit by the Icarus effect. I feel like they're basically just trying to slow roll um, El Nino Problema, so that way he, he can become a top contender in the future, but not too soon, uh, or, or rather, so they're not trying to burn him out. I do think this is a very winnable fight for Raul Rosas Jr. Again, I think he gets it done early via sub, maybe even via ground and pound TKO finish. This next one is probably the one that I'm mainly the most excited about. Um, I mean, folks, this this one right here is arguably one of the funnest fights. Just in general, one of the funnest fights, not even just of the night. Just a very fun fight. 
Kevin Big Mouth Holland coming in against Jackie Three Names himself, Jack Della Maddalena. Um, you love to see this fight, guys. Jack Della Maddalena finally getting a real, real name here. Um, and again, not trying to take anything away from his his most recent opponents or anything, but I mean, let's let's call a spade a spade here, guys. Like in that Basil Hafez fight, he was losing a lot of that fight. Um, in his fight before that against uh, Randy Brown. Randy Brown was doing everything right in that fight up until he got knocked out. So, or rather submitted. So I think Kevin Holland is a hell of a test for him. And I think Kevin Holland uh, probably gets this done and gets the upset. He started off as a favorite. Currently, he's sitting at plus odds on DraftKings Sportsbooks. Do with that what you will. Wow. That is interesting. I might need to do something about that. <laughs> I know you're right about it. I know you're right about it, brother. Hey, this is going to be a boxer's delight. I am super excited for this one, man. We are not going to see anything short of high-level boxing, great punches thrown, great counterfighting, and two dogs going at it. I, I will say JDM, Jack Della Maddalena, has phenomenal footwork. His head movement, his boxing out of that orthodox stance is really impressive. Um, one thing I did notice, I mean, he does tend to loop his hooks a little bit. It just kind of leaves himself exposed. Like you mentioned, that basal, uh, basal Hafez fight, you definitely noticed that he got hit a couple times. And 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 Basil's not really like a big striker, you know. So similar to what happened to Izzy last Saturday, I hope he doesn't get caught. But the reality is someone like Kevin Big Mouth Holland, man, he's so damn fast. He is so accurate. I mean, he, he is elite in that realm. So JDM really just cannot afford to like be late to the mark, can't miss the mark. It's gonna be some fun boxing, but I did just see JDM just get touched up a little too much for my liking, man. He, he can't be doing that with these high-level guys like uh, Kevin Holland. He will put his lights out like that. Kevin has got some power in those hands. He's big. Obviously, he's a fan favorite, and he's a real-life superhero. Um, some of that obviously taken uh, the UFC by storm over the last few years, finding five times in 2020, three to four times a year since. And and within that time frame, I mean, he's fought a bunch of dogs. Kevin Holland has been in there with everybody. A Derek Brunson, Martin Vittori, Kamza, Wonder Boy. Most recent wins over Santiago Ponzinibbio. It's no slouch. And Michael Chiesa, maybe out of his prime, but still a dog. Um, and and he's you know even though Com, uh, even though uh, even though Kevin Holland has lost to Kamza, Wonder Boy, like he's always been in most of those fights. Except Kamza, Kamza really got the better of him. Um, but I do think, man, I mean, he's got all this, all the skills. I think if this were in the streets, it'd be even funner. <laughs> like, it's like these guys, these would be like the funnest bar fight you'd ever see. These guys just laying, laying leather on each other, throwing caution to the wind. I don't think we'll see a lot of wrestling. I know that's probably Kevin's easiest path to victory, but you know, he's not going to do that. You know, he's going to want to go out there and swing and bang. And I think that's what we're, we're going to see. I hope it's 15 minutes of it, man, but I'm leaning Kevin here. I think he's just too quick. Too sharp, man. He's too fast. He's too strong. And he's too goddamn pretty. Um, oh, Kevin Holland, ladies and gentlemen, call Big Mouth. I think Kevin Holland gets it done. Uh, I, I think Moneyline is a safe bet on him. Again, plus odds on Moneyline for Kevin Holland in a winnable fight for him. Boy, you don't get that very fucking often. And here we are. So um, as Kevin Holland would say, take those odds, bucko, uh, because they're good. So that being said, we have a rematch in this final fight in the main event of the evening. That's right, folks. We have found ourselves here at the very main event of the evening. Ladies and gentlemen, we are live. 
So um, here we go. go, guys. Bruce said it himself. Alexa Grasso coming in against Valentina Shevchenko. Folks, this is this is going to be something to behold. Um, the, the last fight, as we know, was one hell of a fight. Um, submission, round four. It was a rear naked choke or maybe a face crank, depending on how you look at it. She didn't really have it under. She just made it hurt. Uh, looked like she was across the jaw lining, just squeezing like a vice grip, making it feel like she's going to implode this this whole little ball, like jaw lining here and just crack it. Not a great feeling if you have someone that has a really good grip or someone that has an even better technique. And uh, unlucky for Valentina, Alexa had both. Now, something to note here before we even like talk and say who we're going to choose to win is just looking at the stats from last fight. It was 182 strikes landed to 167. Uh, and four out of six takedowns landed compared to 0 and 2. Now, considering one woman won by submission, you would think the one that was, uh, you know, shooting for a lot of takedowns excessively that went four and six was probably Alexa Grasso. Fair? Fair. Right, right. But you would be wrong because it was actually her that went 0 and 2 for takedowns. It was her that didn't even really shoot for takedowns. And I know, I see your reaction. So I get it, okay? I had the same reaction looking at these stats and, and going back and rewatching this fight. But it's, it's simply, it's how it played out, guys. Alexa Grasso only shot for two takedowns and went 0-2. Meanwhile, her opponent went four for six. She was definitely spamming takedowns like a creative fighter at one point. And again, the one that landed more strikes is Alexa Grasso. So going into this, you would think, well, the only path to victory would probably be some form of takedowns at Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu for Alexa Grasso against such a dominant Muay Thai champion in Valentina Shevchenko. That simply was not the case. Um, Valentina Shevchenko went out there and did Valentina Shevchenko things. They simply didn't work on Alexa Grasso. Alexa Grasso showed very crispy boxing, very similar to Sean Strickland. Simple, rudimentary, meat and potatoes style fighting. You love to see it, baby, because it works. Um, she was beating her opponent to the mark more often than not. And that's what ended up making Valentino start shooting for takedowns, uh, some unsuccessfully. Now, once they got on the ground, what really impressed me was the fact that Alexa Grasso was completely able to reverse these positions and get, again, reversals, sweeps, and get herself into dominant positions. The back take was just something of pure beauty to behold, folks. Um, it, it was absolutely beautiful to see. The back take... If you haven't seen it, if you haven't seen it in a while, go back and rewatch it. It was a fucking just incredible thing to see. Now, looking at control time, again, Alexa Grasso got zero takedowns in this fight. But she finished that last round with a full minute of control time. Uh, meanwhile, her opponent got four takedowns and was able to accumulate five minutes across four five-minute rounds. Now, that tells me two things. One, the best striker in the division didn't want to stand with Alexa Grasso. And two, when she exerted a lot of energy, which she did to get her down, she had a hard time keeping her there and wasn't able to land a ton of dominant strikes in those positions or put up a lot of submission threats in those positions. So a lot of people see that this is this is going to be uh, Alexa Grasso losing this fight in a rematch in her home place, but I, I just I don't understand that narrative at all. And I, I please make it make sense. Because I, I think Alexa Grasso is straight up money in the bank. Oof. Brother, I mean, my fandom, I mean, I'm wearing the Mexico shirt here. I, you know, I, I my heart of hearts is, is with Alexa here. 
Uh, but the, your breakdown is is absolutely crispy, brother. Ooh, you're you're with Grasso too. I mean, brother, that's my girl, man. I mean, hey, let's let's call it what it is. She's a Mexican warrior, right? That she's who the cards built built around fighting out of Guadalajara, Jalisco, Mexico. Us Mexicans are mostly known for what? Our famous boxers, right? Julio Cesar Chavez, Canelo Alvarez, Juan Marquez, and the list goes on. Alexa's really sound boxing. I think she's making a name for herself as well here. Uh, constantly involved in the jiu-jitsu game, making herself well-rounded. And her defense is great. Like you said, I mean, she's getting taken down. It's fair. But she was defensively sound. She was not taking a lot of damage. And she was able to get out of those positions. Um, when I did reflect on that first matchup, I mean, you, you hit it on the head. Just to, like, quickly restate, you know, Alexa did tag Valentina with a hard left in that first round, which was set up by her boxing. I mean, her feints, her head movement on the center line, off, back, just outside of reach, her stance switches. I mean, everything about it was was tactical. It was phenomenal. And when Alexa really started to string together her combinations, Valentina did not have an answer for it. And that's really when she went to plan B, which was wrestling. Um, definitely got maybe uh, Valentina, some of those middle rounds, utilizing the wrestling game, getting the edge there. But again, it just felt like she wasn't doing a lot of damage. And Alexa getting out of those reversals, getting back to her feet. Um, and Alexa still ending up landing 15 more strikes than Valentina. Um, I mean, again, if we take the wrestling out of it, if we know or if Alexa knows, hey, that's Valentina's best way to, to you know, get the edge here. She, I'm sure she's been drilling that defense nonstop. And, she, you know, she knows she's a great boxer. But ultimately, man, I'm rooting for the Alexa air to continue. I admit, I mean, I, I'm very worried about Valentina. I mean, she seems extremely, extremely motivated. She seems dialed in. I mean, her skills speak for itself. Her ability to win with the wrestling does scare me. If she can be a little bit more offensive on the ground, she she was close to getting Alexa in a crucifix. I mean, it can it can get real ugly down there if she plays a little bit more bully ball. Um, you know, and, and I think if she's willing to make it a dog fight, right? I mean, that's the reality is it's not going to be pretty. It's not going to be easy, but if she can dig deep, like she's done against Amanda Nunes, who's the Gafot, greatest female fighter of all time, uh, <laughs> the Gafot, <laughs> um, I mean, took her twice to decisions, split decisions as well. I mean, to spend 50 minutes with Amanda Nunes and have the judges split on who won. I mean, that's gotta be worth something, right? I mean, I know father times undefeated, but you got to think if Valentina means what she said and she's not resting without that belt and she will not rest without that belt and she goes straight John Wick, it could be very scary. I mean, she's a scary woman. I mean, it is. She's lethal, brother. You know, I mean, when she starts letting them fly. But the thing is, Alexa looked good, man. She didn't fear the beast and she already has a win over. So, I mean, a lot of that does play in as well. I'm leaning Alexa, but brother is I think it's going to be much harder this second time around. I do too. I, I don't think it's going to be easy. Um, I, I do feel like Alexa's just got her number in this fight. Uh, let's go to the chat real quick and see what these guys are saying. So the Black Hotto said regarding the last fight, I like Jack, but I think Kevin holds not only the experience edge, but the power. I think Kevin wins third round TKO. I'm not mad at it. Uh, JJ Smoke says I'm going Holland via decision. Black Hotto then followed up with Valentina fights too much with her ego. She has to outstrike the strikers and outgrapple the grapplers and has made too many mistakes in her last few fights. Only Grasso was able to make her pay. Uh, Turtle followed up, Andrew, with, uh, it almost feels like a passing of the torch. Valentina has ruled this division for years. 
the way she's been talking this week, I feel like she's going to retire regardless of the result. That's a tough thing there, Ooh. Andrew, because if she if she already has one foot out the door, that makes this even more dangerous for her, guys. Like, it, I mean, it could be curtains. It could really be curtains for her. And, um, you know, again, if you have one foot out the door, you're, you're basically giving way to the loss because you're letting your opponent know everything they need to know about just how much hungrier than you they are or how much more hungry than you they are so yeah you're giving yourself that out right it's like you're already digging you your own grave in a way yeah, i mean or you bought it already i mean it's like come on you can't have that on reserve can't buy the yeah. flight back home we're staying baby my bags are packed i'm going to disneyland <laughs> right, there ain't no alternative so i don't like that either bro that's a good pickup turtle i don't i don't i don't love that i don't love that at all i think that's um i think it's a horrible thing guys truly um so that makes me lean even more towards alexa grasso and that being said, completely agree with you, Turtle. I think uh, it's a passing of the torch, a major passing of the torch. Um, and I fucking hate it. I hate to see it. But it is what it is. As Father the Time's say. undefeated, brother. We know Father this. Father Time is undefeated. Um, Father Time is undefeated. Uh, as we all know, this is definitely a mixed martial arts podcast, and it will always be a mixed martial arts podcast. But we also like to talk about random other stuff, too. You know, from time to time, we'll talk about comic book movies, what's hot, what's popping, what's fun in the uh, in the movie and show industry. And right now, as we know, football season is afoot. Um, would love to chat with you about how week one in your fantasy leagues have gone, Nano. So time for a little no filter fantasy football. Nano, how was week one for you, man? Did it treat you pretty well or what? Treated me pretty well, I mean, brother. Fuck. I guess we're into week two already. Thursday night. We football. are into week two. Thursday night did treat me well. I have DeAndre Swift, got me 25 points in three leagues. I have Let's Justin go. Jefferson in a league. Uh off to a great start. But yeah, I went five and two. Um I mean, I'm I'm you know at the top of the ranks, but it's early, brother. It's early. I will say I don't want to get too don't want to get too ahead of myself here. But I will say I did lose last week in a couple leagues due to the Aaron Rodgers injury. You hate losing like that. But, brother, one's a win. And, boy, did it feel a little good inside. I mean, I don't care. I'm going to take it, baby. So uh, taking that to the bank, Lego. Uh, In regards to our UFC fantasy league, I did lose last week. It was tough. I'm not going to lie. But I do have DeAndre Swift. He got me 27 points, baby. And I am projected to win. Injured per- to Wait, perfection. Did here. you change your name in the league to Injured to Perfection? No, but that is hilarious. That's who I'm facing. Oh my god, that's an amazing team name. That's injured fantastic. I think perfection. it's Brandon. Pretty sure that's it's Brandon, amazing. But... Um, well, if it makes you oh, feel no, better, Jamal, in no, both that's of my TN. That's TN. Oh, TN. No, not TN. They had to do himself. Um, so, I, man, come on. I, if if we're being honest here, I used my first round pick in not one but both leagues that we are in together. On Kelsey, and that guy's injured. Um, <sighs> he should be back. He should be back. You know, not off to a solid start with who I picked in my first round, but I went into round one, week one, going in against Brianna the Great here. Um, Brianna Frost, as you guys know, we're on Twitter. And uh, I had a 35 or 34% chance of winning. Ended up pulling it out, 115 to 106. You know, no big deal. No big deal, folks. Let's go uh, and, and then, you know, I mean... In the other one, what did we have? What what happened in the other one here? In the Studs and Duds League, aka the Family League, I feel like that one was pretty solid too. Um, you know, again, ended up going against uh, the Cuz, was not projected to win, 
but ended up pulling it off. Um, oh, boy. Was very happy with it. So, yeah, we went 103 against 64.16. Uh, you're you're shout in out second to the place Dallas right Cowboys. now. Shout out to yep. the Dallas Cowboys uh, defense, you know. And, uh, you know, we're making a couple changes. We're pretty excited about them. Feeling pretty solid about week two, to be completely honest with you. Have a little side bet with Mystic Drew himself, who happens to be coming out here for the weekend. He'll be here tomorrow. Um, and, yeah, man, again, I, uh, I feel like... I'm not projected to beat Drew by any means. I'm currently a much better underdog than I was at the start of the day. I think when I made that bet, I had a 33% chance of beating Drew or 34% chance. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I had a feeling. I had a feeling I might pull it out. Now I'm all the way up to 45% chance of winning. There which, you go. You know, not positive odds, but you know we love a good underdog. AJ Brown, no filter show. underperformed. You should be good to go. Honestly, if I were you, once you put Kelsey back in there, I think your odds will go back up. And that's the thing, just literally waiting to see if he will be able to play. And uh, if he's not. Fingers crossed. You know what I'm saying? Fingers crossed, brother. You got this. I hope you beat Drewski. It's going to happen. It's definitely going to happen. Uh, we got we got some solid talent on the bench. You know, we got Jay Connor. Uh, if if he is able to play right now, he might sit out. I'm talking about James Connor here of the Arizona Cardinals. If he doesn't sit out, he did put up some pretty solid points last week. Uh, really like to see him put up more of those this week um if you can put up like a solid 12 13 points that i can get kelsey to put up uh you know between 15 to 20 i think it's a solid dubsky over drewski and uh it'd be a solid win for the olav garden especially <laughs> if the man the myth the legend mr chris olav of the new orleans saints was able to pull off a big win and get me another like 19 to 25 points there would love to see that would love to see that I think the Olave Garden will be open late. I think it's open 24-7. Let's go. Let's go, baby. Let's fucking go. Uh, So that does it for this episode, guys. Thanks again for sticking with us for another hour and a half. Um, Honestly, you people in the chat, we love to have you here. You become the family, and uh, you make this time go by very quickly. And, I mean, this is something that we do because we enjoy it. You make us enjoy it that much more. So, Thank you for being a part of the streams. Thank you for being part of our lives. And uh, thank you for keeping the passion for mixed martial arts alive, folks. Um, As you know, we love mixed martial arts. We love the MMA around here. And uh, we will see you same time, same place next week. Thursdays at 8 p.m. And most Mondays at 8 p.m., depending on the Monday Night Football, probably moving forward. But either way, pay attention to the Twitter and uh, we'll keep you posted on when the next live is. We'll see you there, folks. You've been listening to the MMA Anomaly Show. No filter. As you may have been able to tell, we dig the MMA, and our passion is to dive deep into the upcoming fights, give you our expert breakdowns, and help you make sense of all the chaos that is the fight game. We hope you've enjoyed the show. If you did, make sure to like, rate, and review. We'll be back soon, but in the meantime, make sure to find us on YouTube, Twitter, Instagram, and Twitch at MMAnomaly. Be cool, and we'll see you next time.